Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Job, chapter 23, verses 1 through 9 and 16 through 17. Then Job answered, Today also my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his dwelling. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, but he would give heed to me. There an upright person could reason with him and I should be acquitted forever by my judge. If I go forward, he's not there. Or backward, I cannot perceive him. On the left he hides and I cannot behold him. I turn to the right, but I cannot see him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. If only I could vanish in darkness, and thick darkness would cover my face. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Deborah, for reading. It's nothing like... Uh... Yeah, concluding a scripture verse with only if my face could vanish in the darkness to, uh, yeah, uh, get us in good spirits. <laughs> so, um, so just to recap a, a little bit uh, about Job, this may do it well. The um, biblical scholar Greenstein has a book, uh, in fact, a modern translation if you're looking for one. Uh, his I highly recommend. He says this, in the book of Psalms, there is no connection between one paragraph and the next. In the book of Proverbs, there's no connection between one sentence and the next. And in the book of Job, there's no connection between one word and the next. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, yeah. Um, Job speaks against many things. Um, and so I think that's why it's referred to as wisdom literature for a reason. Uh, primary, uh, to deter from simplistic understandings of faith. Not that they're entirely wrong, because um, the, all the little cliches of faith that we've heard all of our life, sometimes they do help. Um, but the problem is when you stay with that for too long, when it helps, it helps, but when it doesn't, it doesn't. And it leaves you as if uh, like a cartoon character with a trap door that's opened up. Uh, it's the way your faith feels. Uh, Susan mentioned last week Job's critique of retributive justice. And concluding, interesting enough, with the same that I did, even though we didn't communicate, uh, uh, with uh, a good question and a look at Job of how do we suffer. And, uh, and so as I was tackling the middle of Job, it reminded me of a story I used to read to my children growing up. And so if you're familiar with this, uh, why don't you read the title with me? It's Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Yeah. Except this is Alexander doing the adulting version, right? So, is uh, the story of Job. And so, uh, with that, uh, let me just take a, a brief prayer as we jump into this second week uh, in exploring Job. So, so, gracious God, as we jump into this, um, this tale filled with questions and more questions and more questions and sometimes confusion on top of that, uh, guide us, renew us, restore us, that we may hear the word that you're calling us to hear this day. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I will be honest, um, the very way Job begins, I, I cringe every time that I, I read that. It's because part of me hates that this story is part of Scripture. I don't believe that God makes bets about the fate of God's people. Um, in fact, I'm here today because I believe in God's goodness, because I believe that God um, has this total gift of grace. And it's our challenge throughout most of our life is coming to terms with that, because more often than not, we're the ones that want to punish us. Uh, and so, at the same time, part of me is grateful for this story. Um, as a blogger I read this week, uh, the name of Kate, she helped me to articulate why. She said, this story puts words and images to the times no story makes sense of what we're going through. When it isn't just a day or a week that's horrible, but everything is bad, everything is lost. Times you feel like you're being thrown around casually like a pair of dice, like there is some secret cosmic bet on what you do next and whether you'll make it. So, so yeah, that's, that's Job. And we began last week, uh, both Susan and I, with chapter one, dabbling into chapter two, maybe a dash of some others, but we're skipping all the way to chapter 23. Um, now, the way Job begins and ends is in prose, typical, typical story fashion, but it, the rest of it is poetry. Um, in particular, poetry of lament and rant. So think uh, Lewis Black, if you want to, maybe he would make a good Job. <laughs> um, the poet Elizabeth Alexander says, here's the reason why people should read and write poetry, because there are ways to get at hand hard and true things that other forms of language and literature cannot quite do, um, especially in ways that allow both reader and the poet to formulate and ask questions and allow us to sit with those questions. Uh, perhaps is the reason that poetry is the primary vehicle of communication in the book of Job, uh, which is simply about tackling ultimate questions, you know. Um, you know, what about good? Uh, what about suffering? What about where is God in the midst of that? And the interesting thing about reading Job is there is always someone playing Job, as Archibald MacLeish's uh, play based on Job said. He says, there, there must be thousands right now, maybe millions and millions of humankind that are burned out, crushed, broken, mutilated, slaughtered, and for what? You know? And we've seen it, or we've lived it. Um, and a lot of people have simply given up. And yet, Job perseveres. Chapter 3, before we arrive here, here's what we're missing, are the interactions with a couple of Job's friends, and each one essentially saying the same thing. Um, now, we'll say this before I jump into what they say, these friends get a bad rap, really, um, because at the very beginning, here's what Job's friends do. When they hear about their jo uh, friend Job, they go to him and sit with him without saying one word which, by the way, is the best pastoral advice that you can get of what do I say when somebody's struggling and suffering? Well, sit, presence. Um, they not only that, they're present, they tear their own clothes. They take ashes left from, uh, from the sacrifices and throw them on the, heap them on their own heads to show, look, I'm in solidarity with you. I feel with you, not at you or for you, but with you. However, after they've sat in silence long enough, after they've seen Job what they feel is the appropriate amount of time, they're leaning, something has to fill the silence. And that's when usually we open our mouth and ruin it, right? So, um, here are a couple of their responses. Uh, Eliphaz, uh, the Temanite, and his two companions had brought distinct charges against Job's character because they saw him in such utter ministry 
that they concluded that his adversity must have been sent as a punishment for some type of sin that he committed. So they judge him to be a hypocrite who, under cover of religion, has exercised oppression and tyranny. Boy, they don't pull punches there, do they? So, not only that, then Zophar um, had hinted that wickedness was sweet in Job's mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You think we could have good insults nowadays? Yeah, we read here. So, um, Eliphaz charged him with a hardness of heart to the poor and said this, that you have taken a pledge from your brother and stripped the naked of their clothing. How do you strip the naked? I mean, that's just, yeah. <laughs> wow, like I said, they've got some good insults in here. <laughs> um, you know, so uh, Job calls them, though. Job is really nice. He looks at them and says, look, you are forgers of lies and physicians of no value. So, so yeah, <laughs> calls them what it is. So chapter 3 through 21, chock full of clever wordplay, pitched arguments, um, essentially interplaying with this way um, that even Job, I think, buys into at the beginning, that God rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked. And they, they've all shared that belief until it doesn't match up with Job and his experience. So the friends say again and again that, Job, you're on the ash heap precisely because of what you've done. And you've done it so well that you are smelling foul. Thanks, friends. Yeah, friends like these. Who needs enemies, right? <laughs> so, um, and here's where we encounter chapter 23. It's a summation of all the dialogue and the raging that's preceded the other chapters. And so Eliphaz has the last word in chapter 22, uh, verse 22. He just says this, why don't you take Torah from God's mouth and put God's word in your heart? He just leaves it there. So, so uh, and... Now, it's amazing that later God shows up to say, look, 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 friends, dude, seriously, you've done more harm than anything I could have done. So, and he tells them they aren't right in the end. But here at this point and place, we're dealing with Job and his pain and his anger um, and suffering. Um, so, um, as Jesus says in Matthew 5, 45, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. But when horrific things happen to us, it isn't always the case that we've been wronged by God. Every time life collapses in the front of us and we're sitting in the dust, isn't, you know, where do we go with that? With the pain, with the heartache? Um, most of the time there's no one to blame or we may blame God uh, when there may be no one at fault. When you come back to the storyline, the book of Job is also about having the freedom to feel and utter such thoughts. Um, the book of Job tells us it's okay to ask questions of God. In fact, it is the more faithful response. Um, you know, think about this question, the one that we usually think of as, Tom, as the doubter. It's who? Thomas, right? And yet, and yet, I didn't even realize this. As a pastor who studied this for years, until reflecting back on Job and the questions, Thomas was the only one offered to touch the resurrected Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So his doubts, his questions led him to a deeper faith that was offered even to get as close to touch Jesus. Uh, and um, so it's one thing to suffer, um, but it's one thing like the uh, philosopher DMX says to find meaning in that suffering. Finally, Job, in that longing presence and that 
complaint against his own friends speaks this in Job 23, verses 8 through 9. If I go forward, he's not there. Or backward, I cannot perceive him. On the left, he hides, and I cannot behold him. I turn to the right, but I cannot see him. This is an, ex an exact reversal of Psalm 139. You remember Psalm 139? Where, where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Even there um, your right hand shall hold me fast. Um, so, For Job, the harshest of the things that have done to him, from the loss of all the things and even the harshness of his wife's words and his friend's words, the worst thing is there in the midst of his suffering, he does not feel God any longer that God feels distant, absent, so far removed that God is unknowable, and he longs for a sense of God's attention and presence. Um, God is nowhere to be found. Uh, God's hand, it seems to Job, neither leads him nor holds him fast. Uh, now, that's a lot of pain. That's a lot of pain. Uh, and if you've ever experienced that, Question your own pain or sat with somebody who is moving through that. Uh, here's something that you might need to know between the Job of then and then now, uh, between what we know of Jesus. Uh, part of the answer is that God is in the process. Uh, you know, when God comes along in the presence of Jesus of restoring all things, the answer to the question, can anyone be saved, is a resounding yes, but to some extent that can still be leaving us feeling, well, like God has forsaken us in that yes. And so a good reminder is this, when you think that God cannot be found, was that God himself participates in our suffering and takes our pains on himself. Think of it, the bare cross is the most powerful demonstration that no matter what our experiences with life may be, He knows the way that we take. Even Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the one that we follow, Jesus, the one who died and has risen and would rise again, come back, is the one who experienced the very things that we were part of. And it may or may not have hoped Job but one thing we know of Job is time and time again, he's called to have integrity, which basically means that intersection between speech and faith. That Job doesn't just says what he means and means what he says, but he still holds fast to the faith, even though God seems not present. Even as Job laments and rages, he sees that his story is not the whole story but a part of a larger and better story. So in other words, we are set free to lament and to argue our case with God. Because our story is just a small part in a so much greater and larger story. Um, you may have noticed in the bulletin, today is World Communion Sunday. Um, you may not know how it began. Uh, World Communion Sunday began with determination. It started in 1933, around the time that Hitler and Mussolini were proclaiming that Rome-Berlin access. Uh, and uh, Kaishak had declared war on Japan. The practice of worldwide communion began very, very slow. 
It began in those who were most affected by the churches and war-torn areas in which they're looking around going, where is their God in the midst of all this war? And then as the war began to press uh, and increase and it finally came to the Second World War, interesting enough, it blossomed across the countries rapidly. One pastor who was at the very beginning, he said, we were trying to hold the world together through the grace of God in the symbol that was that very thing. Word and table. Word and table. In a spiritual sense, it emphasized that we are one in the spirit in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one can say, it's different than the world today, except we're still fighting, we're still wounded, we're still struggling to hold together. We'll still reading and even experience terrible, horrible stories of our own. So may we, like Job, dare to trust that our stories are not the whole story, but that we too are part of the larger, better story of God's grace. Not just here, not just now, but for then and hereafter. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray as we, uh, we're about to come to that very table. Uh, Father, in the moments in which we experience that dark night, the soul in which you might seem absent, or we sit with those who struggle to find the questions, help us to let go of any easy answers. Help us to hold the tension of those answers. Allow us to be present, and for the moments in which we do not feel that you are present, remind us that you are still there, regardless of the feeling. So search us and renew us and strengthen us, both now and always. Amen.